Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, Welcome, everyone who's listening in to today's conversation I'm excited because I get a chance to talk to someone who's an a educator, an author, and has the distinction of having been a TEDx speaker and actually the co-founder and president of an organization called the Institute for Humane Education. So I'm so happy to have her today. Um, and so I just want to welcome uh, Zoe Weil. Welcome, Zoe. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I told you, and for those of you who may be your first time listening in, um, you know, the story about this, um, this radio show and podcast, um, one of my colleagues years ago, I used to always go on trips, um, whether it was, you know, doing lectures in different places, and almost every week I'd come back and I'd tell my colleagues, I'd say, you never believe who I talked to today, and so I, I always would sit on, you know, I'd be on an airplane, and I'd sit next to some of the most interesting people, and we'd have these great conversations. And then as a kind of joke, one of my friends said, hey, you need, or a colleague said, um, hey, you, you should have a, a television show. It's like, where in the world is Brian Perkins? And we laughed it off. And then finally came back and said, no, all jokes aside, they have this thing called podcasts. Have you heard of them before? And I vaguely had heard of podcasts back then and um, had heard a couple of things. I just said, oh, it's like a book on tape, but not a book. And then um, and and so we we talked about it. And so I explored it and decided 10 years ago, uh, like this past August was 10 years um, ago, decided to start this uh, platform. And so. Um, so, you know, thanks to people like you who have been willing to accept the invitation to come on and spend um, 30 minutes just, you know, talking about what you're doing and worthwhile because uh, leaders need to hear the kinds of things that you're doing. And I think you're, you're in that category. So thank you again uh, for coming and, and talking with me and sharing. Well, for me, it's a pleasure as well because I love talking to educators like you. So I'm excited about our conversation. Excellent. Thank you. So I'm going to start because I'm really interested in hearing about the institute that you started, the Institute for Humane Education. Tell me all about what you do and, and, and actually how it got started. So you can start anywhere you want in terms of the uh, evolution of the institute, but I'd love to hear um, what it is and what you're doing. Well, I love starting at the beginning, so I think I will tell you the backstory. And the backstory goes back three plus decades. And wow. I was not sure what I wanted to do with my life. And I had um, gone to graduate school and gotten a couple different master's degrees. I was a law school dropout. I really didn't know my direction. <laughs> and 
I was looking for a summer job, and I found this program at the University of Pennsylvania that offered week-long summer classes to middle school students. And having gotten a couple master's degrees and being somewhat of a dilettante, I knew a little bit about a bunch of things. I pitched a bunch of courses, and the director said yes to all of them. And the one of my courses was the second most popular of the 60 courses that was offered that um, summer. And it was on animal issues. I also offered a class on environmental issues. And these were issues that I cared about and I thought young people would care about, and they did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I watched in amazement as these students, these mostly 12-year-olds, were transformed over the course of a week. One boy, having learned about product testing during the middle of the week, and that's where anything from oven cleaner to personal care products, soaps, lotions, cosmetics, are dripped into the eyes of conscious rabbits and force-fed to animals in quantities that kill and smeared on their abraded skin. And this boy went home that night, and he made his own homemade leaflets. Now, this was in 1986. He did not have mm-hmm. a personal computer. He literally right. hand-wrote his <laughs> leaflets. He yeah. came back the next day. He wanted to hand them out, but not to his fellow classmates. He wanted to hand them out on a Philadelphia street corner. So that's what really? he did during lunch. Yeah. And so that that week was really life-changing, not only for a couple of the kids who later told me when they were adults that that week changed their life, but it was life-changing for me because it's when I realized that I had found my life's work as a humane educator, somebody who teaches about real-world ethical issues that matter and helps kids to solve problems that they care about or be what we call solutionaries. And so I ended up starting a humane education program in Philadelphia that I ran for about seven years. And we were reaching about 10,000 students a year in the greater Philadelphia area. And I thought, this is great, but this is a drop in the bucket. We need to change education. We need we need schools everywhere and teachers everywhere to be making the curriculum real world and what we call solutionary focus so that Mm -hmm. young people can use the academic skills they're gaining to Mm -hmm. solve problems that they care about in their communities and in the world. And so in 1996, I co-founded the Institute for Humane Education, and we have been providing resources for educators and doing professional development. We created the first graduate programs in humane education in the United States, and they're currently offered through an affiliation with Antioch University, and they're offered online. So we have students all across the U.S. and Canada and around the world who are learning to integrate human rights issues, environmental sustainability issues, animal protection Mm -hmm. issues into the curriculum. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, I, I know a little bit about Antioch um, because um, Horace Mann, one of the um, staunch supporters and, and founders at Teachers College, uh, where I'm a professor, um, I know served as a as a, either a teacher or or maybe was a a, a leader there as well um, early on, and so. Um, you know there are there are so many 
topics that you've mentioned that just really resonate with me um, that, um, you know, the human rights piece, environmental and animal protection, to name a few, um, you know, it makes me wonder, you know, now where we're hearing in the news so many places are, are suspicious of, of whether they are organizations or universities or otherwise that are saying we want children to be able to think for themselves and to know the truth and to do something. Like these topics that you talk about, human rights and environmental protectionism, you know, there's some places where people would say, oh, you're teaching kids to be liberals. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you're teaching kids to be woke. Um, have yeah. you faced any of that? Have you faced any of that with your uh, with your work? Well, surprisingly, no. And mm. the reason is because at the core of educating students to be solutionaries is educating them to be critical thinkers, systems thinkers, strategic thinkers, and creative thinkers, which combined really comprise solutionary thinking. And solutionary thinking is designed, we have a solutionary framework that's a 14-step process divided into four phases. And one of the most important parts of the solutionary framework is reaching out to all of the stakeholders who are impacted by a problem. Mm -hmm. So by requiring that step of reaching out to everybody, those who are harmed by the problem, but also those who are, are benefiting from whatever the systems are that perpetuate that problem, and to identify the underlying problem. So in a way, the solutionary framework is a corrective to the polarization that we are seeing right now. Mm-hmm. So now, I'm, this is not to say that we won't uh, get some pushback. I'm sure we will at some point. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the reason why we haven't is that we are asking students to become the kind of critical thinkers and the kind of, of, of listeners who are willing to hear different perspectives so that we are collaboratively working together to address the underlying problem and not argue about an issue. And I'm going to give you an example of what I mm-hmm. mean by this. So mm-hmm. um, a, a number of years ago, and I talk about this in my TEDx talk, I was listening to the radio and I heard about a debate that was going to be at New York University as part of the Intelligence Squared debate series. Mm-hmm. And this series is designed to take a statement and have experts present their perspective for or against that statement and then an aud- audience members voting on who won. Uh-huh. So the statement that I heard about on the radio was this one. The U.S. is responsible for Mexico's drug wars. And I remember hearing that and just immediately thinking, really, is this how we're going to use brilliant minds and experts and, and, and audience members? We're going to ask them to, to argue and debate this, this statement, mm-hmm. and then we're going to have a winner and a loser. Why wouldn't we take these great minds and these experts 
and come together and try to solve the problem of Mexico's drug wars. Uh, Wouldn't that be a better use of our time? Uh And when I talk to people about that, it doesn't really matter, you know, where you are in the political spectrum. Almost everybody thinks that's a better use of time. And I think that's why we don't get pushback. I think it's because people recognize that the solutionary process is good for everybody. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, it's part of, you know, why I start out saying that it's a solutions-oriented show. Is yes, that, I love that. You know, is that, okay, we can talk about the issues, and then what? You know, what, what's the answer? What's the, how, do we, how do we change it? And so, um, you know, part of what really struck me in your TED Talk um, about the world becomes what you teach um, just this idea of putting to the fore of just how important, though, also um, the education that you are a proponent of, you know, like the kind of education, those topics that, you know, it, that we, we talk about solving human rights abuses, then why not teach about the solution to that? What are, what are, the, what are the solutions you know, kind of there are root causes, but what are what are solutions to um, um, the the human rights uh, abuse and 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 so forth? Um, which is what what brought me to my initial question was about the pushback because there, I mean, there are, and I hear this, and I'm in rooms where that's the debate now is about you know how far can we go because there are. You know there are there are there's a lot of misinformation out there. Yep. There there are pieces of the history we have to tell, and there are some that don't want the history told because there are some bad actors in those in those um, in from a historical perspective. I'm one that I don't like to dwell on just that, but I do think that it's important that we set the record straight because if we don't have the the foundation accurate people make decisions they make wrong decisions about how to solve the issues you know so it's like exactly. you got to you got to really understand so even um from a historical perspective understanding drugs let's say using that example you gave understanding drugs and 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 who profits and some of that is important to understand then going to so how do we really solve the problem so um so i come back to um the question i have is how then or where is the balance for you in in where you see your organization focusing um where is the balance of let's let's be aware, and so that's why I was saying that people talk about it's woke education, awareness, truth finding. They don't want a lot of people don't want. Um, but where do you find the balance? So those are great questions, and um, I'd, I would say a few things. And I'm gonna go back to the solutionary process because the solutionary process it it starts with identifying a problem that you care about. So it's not the teacher saying, this is what you should care about, mm-hmm. and this is how you should solve it. It's a process that the teacher 
guide students go through. And and ideally, students go through this in collaboration, in teams. And so after identifying a problem and really um, uh, making sure that they have a good problem statement, that they really understand what exactly they are trying to solve, mm-hmm. they then need to research the causes of that problem, from the systemic causes in society to the deeper causes, the historical causes, and they really need to learn from a variety of people. And so in that process of learning to be good researchers and investigators, they're also going to learn how to be able to distinguish fact from opinion, to be able to distinguish facts from disinformation and misinformation. So it is a process. And then once they really understand, again, they're going to talk to a variety of stakeholders. It's not as if liberal kids or, or kids who are, you know, in li- the children of liberal parents are, are going to only talk to liberals and conservative uh-huh. families are only going to talk to conservatives. No, they have to talk to each other. And what's really yeah. exciting is when you have kids working on the same problem but they come from different backgrounds and different experiences. But the process is designed to be so rigorous that the students really can't get away with shoddy research and mm-hmm. with sort of accepting what, you know, some opinion, you know, what they saw on Twitter or some, uh, you know, a, a pundit but not actual uh, solid historical or scientific information. Mm-hmm. And that process is one, again, that I think most people can get behind. And um, it's, it, by design, leads to the development of solutions that do the most good and the least harm for everybody. Mm. So two more things I want to say about that. One yeah. is it's not as if, you know, the vast majority of people – believe in human rights. The vast majority of people believe we should have a healthy environment and believe we shouldn't abuse animals. The vast majority. So some of these terms can sound like buzz phrases, but really most of us agree. We then get disagree where we get pushed into our little camps. And that becomes, you know, where all the polarization starts or doesn't start, but it's perpetuated over time and separates us. But really, this process is designed to bring us together to with this ethical foundation of doing the most good and least harm. And that, you know, let me just define what a solutionary is. It's somebody mm. who is able to identify unjust, unsustainable, inhumane systems and then develop solutions that do the most good and the least harm for people, for other species, and for the environment. That's the definition. This ethical component undergirds the whole solutionary process. And um, it isn't an, it, an ethics that says this is what you should do or this is what you should think. And I have asked thousands upon thousands of adults and children, do you think that striving to do the most good and the least harm to people's animal, to people, animals, and the environment is a good thing? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. everybody says yes. Nobody ever says that that's a bad principle by which to live. Mm-hmm. And if we can agree on that, 
Nobody is saying what the answer to that is, but it's that process that leads us toward a more just and toward a more sustainable future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. Um, you know, I I love your your the phrase there, solutionaries. And in fact, um, I have a um, uh, what I always refer to as the the purpose of education, the statement on what I think the purpose of education is. But one thing that I am a proponent of is that we create a society of critical thinkers, and we've heard that countless times, critical thinkers, um, but also people who are what I like to refer to as independent actors. And that's, that's loaded because I think a lot of what you're talking about where they have the ability to reason because they have the information, they make their own decisions. And it's not just because of something they heard or read, as you said, like out there in the, you know, the, the uh, social media world, but they are independent actors that not that they go it alone, but that they have their, they come to their own understanding um, of a topic and then work towards solutions. Um, you see that fitting into what you what you're describing? Oh, a hundred percent. Because the solutionary process, one of the steps in that process is to not only find leverage points for solving a problem, but then to create a plan for implementing that solution mm. that they've come up with, and to actually implement it and then assess it and then iterate based on what they learn and, mm-hmm. and share and celebrate. So mm-hmm. it, is a, it is a soup to nuts process from building their compassion to actively acting in the world. And, you know, this is not something that's just good for the world. This is something that is essential for mm-hmm. kids. And mm-hmm. about 10 years ago, um, I was invited to speak at a middle school in Connecticut. And I started my presentation to the fifth and sixth graders asking them what they thought were the biggest problems in the world. And I ended up filling up an entire whiteboard with the problems that they said. And, you know, these were problems that were similar to what adults say. In fact, really, there's hardly any difference between um, what adults say and what kids say. And it's not as if they were being taught about these problems in school. They just knew about them. And one boy, remember, these are fifth and sixth graders, one boy said sex trafficking. So after filling Mm -hmm. up this whiteboard, I asked the kids to raise their hands if they thought we could solve these problems. And of the 45 kids in that room, only five raised their hands. Only five could imagine us solving the problems they listed. And Mm -hmm. that was such a wake-up call to me. And I stopped what I was doing. I did a guided visualization with them where I asked them to imagine that they were very old and at the very end of a long and well-lived life and the future that they were living in was one in which there was nobody who went to bed hungry because they had no choice. And we'd learned to treat each other with respect and compassion, and there hadn't been a war in as long as they could remember. And the Mm -hmm. air was clean, and the birds were singing. And I painted this different future for them. And then Mm -hmm. I asked them to imagine a child coming up and joining them on the park bench they were sitting at. And the child had all sorts of questions about how things changed. And then the child asked a final question. 
what role did you play in helping to bring about this better world? What did you do? Mm. And while they still had their eyes closed during this visualization, I asked them now to raise their hands if they could imagine and us solving the problems on the whiteboard that they'd listed. And this time, 40 hands went up in the air. It did <laughs> not take long to restore their hope. What it took was uh-huh. a vision of a better future a and the yeah. idea that they played a part in it. And, mm. you know, as singer-songwriter Joan Baez once said, action is the antidote to despair. And we know that so many children are feeling so much anxiety and they're depressed. Yeah. And this is all, you know, these kids, this was 10 years ago. This is pre-pandemic. So and can you imagine, they, right? Yeah. And so this is important for children. It's not just important for the world. This is important for their sense of meaning and purpose and hope and efficacy and their ability to not only be prepared for what they're facing right now in the present moment, but be prepared for the future, which, you know, there are a lot of issues we need to address. And kids are scared about the future. They're scared about the impacts of climate change and many other issues. And so this is good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, it just sounds amazing. I know um, probably a lot of uh, lives have been touched by what you've done in those um, those classrooms beyond the students you reach, but it's it's the that vision you've given. Um, and, and so I, you know, I have a few, just a couple other things I wanted to ask you. It's like, we're already almost at the end of our time together, but I did want to shift. I know you've written um, several books and one was a, um, or, or maybe there were others, but um, Amazon bestsellers. And um, I want to ask you about one. And I, I think the full title is above all be kind Raising mm-hmm. a Humane Child in Challenging Times. Uh, I, you know, I get to hear uh, in the work that I do, I hear from, I hear from people who are being um, trained to be school leaders. They are teachers, but I do a lot of work with school boards and, and um, school board members. And a lot of the, the pushback that people have and particularly now you know you've heard i'm sure in the news that a lot of states are reporting learning loss and national Mm -hmm. learning loss um, from the federal uh, research but a lot of states are reporting the learning loss has been significant over the past couple of years and so there's now here we are we're back to the academic aspect and there are very few places that I've heard people talking about the social emotional aspect of this. You know, we've, what I, I had shows throughout the pandemic where I almost begged people to talk about what do you think the impact is really going to be on children, their emotional status, their, mm-hmm. um, their, their mental well-being, and time after time, whether they were you know, psychiatrists or psychologists or, you know, just people who worked with kids, they all said the same thing. Oh, we're not worried because, you know, kids are very resilient. And I just, I I always push the envelope about some of what you're talking about is that Mm -hmm. you, you learn to be kind 
to others by interacting with others, by making some mistakes too, right? Being mm-hmm. corrected. Um, and, and so people, in my opinion, were not so willing to say that that would be impacted. And I think mm-hmm. we, we haven't seen what's going to happen. I've, I know I've seen working with adults, I've seen differences in adults that were home all day doing what they wanted to do, when they wanted to do it, and then trying to bring them back into a structured environment was tough. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, I guess there, there's kind of a couple questions I wanted, but I, I guess what has been the reception that you've received when you go and let's say you talk to whether it's board members or, or school leaders where you say, this is really important. This is something to take up as well as math and reading and science and history, that we, we have to carve out space to make sure we're raising human beings, we're raising, uh, and you said something earlier about compassion. We need mm-hmm. compassionate, empathetic beings. What kind of reception are you getting with that so- now? You know, most of the time when people hear about this approach, uh, our humane education approach and the solutionary framework, they think, yes. <laughs> they say yes. They're very, yeah. very excited. It makes perfect sense to them. I mean, what we are talking about, we often describe it as taking social-emotional learning to the next level, taking project-based and problem-based learning to the next level. That's what the whole solutionary framework does. Where people have a, a, a challenge is how do I bring this into my school, into my curriculum? How do I do it? Not do I think it's a good thing to do. Almost everybody is like, yes, but yeah. we're all yeah. overwhelmed. So mm. this is what we have been working on, and thank you for bringing up my books, and I, I hope some of your listeners may want to – Above All Be Kind was my first book for adults and because mm. um, I'd written some books for kids, and mm-hmm. The World Becomes What We Teach, Educating a Generation of Solutionaries is my most recent book, and that's the one that um, became an Amazon number one bestseller in the philosophy and social aspects of education this year. And I would say that if people are interested – they can go to our website, which is humaneeducation.org, and they will find a wealth of resources. So we have a mm. free solutionary guidebook with our 14-step, four-phase four process and framework. We have loads of free downloadable resources. We have exemplar units for teachers in various grades and subject categories. And oh, then we awesome. also have a solutionary micro-credential program for um, any teachers who want some professional development. And we are encouraging schools to register a a bunch of teachers at once so the whole school can embrace this concept and go through the process and integrate this work right into their existing curriculum. Wow. Wow. That sounds awesome. Well, I mean, that, that, um, and the fact that you have these resources that are available and you're saying just come there, you download them for free, right? These exemplar yeah. samples. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, yeah. that's great. Um, which is a great segue. I know we're already out of time. We've gone over just a little bit. Um, I want to give you an opportunity. I, I mentioned a few of the books 
Um, as I said, the world becomes what we teach. Um, educating a generation of solutionaries is one. Um, that one was the number one uh, bestseller in, in, uh, on Amazon. Um, a Nautilus civil, uh, silver medal winner was Most Good, Least Harm. Um, there's another book, Moonbeam, uh, Gold Medal Winner, uh, Claude, and is, is it Medea? It is, and actually the revised version of that is coming out in June, and I'm really excited because it's going to be a beautiful companion book for um, for middle school students in oh. language arts to read yeah. um, because it's about uh, it's about seventh graders who become solutionaries. Ah, awesome, awesome. And so, um, Zoe, do you have? Any social media handles or emails or any uh, websites you want to point out so people, they can uh, get in touch with you? I'm sure there are going to be some people that would love to follow up and, and hear more about the work and, and perhaps engage your unit. Um, you, you have any ways you want to share that people can get in yes. touch with you? Thank you. So the f- first and foremost, our website, again, is humaneeducation.org. And we are on Facebook, Institute for Humane Education. We are on Instagram and Twitter, and the handle there is just Humane Education. We're on LinkedIn as well, and we're on Pinterest, and we have loads of Pinterest boards for educators. So I hope we hear from listeners, and we want to support educators of all kinds and administrators and leaders who want to make this world better with our solutionary framework. Well, excellent. Thank you. You have certainly added to me um, today and just want to thank you for this conversation, uh, wishing you and uh, the Institute great success. Um, I'm going to be listening. I don't know when you're going to do another TEDx. Um, talk, but I'm going to be listening, watching uh, to see when you do that again. Did a great job. I really appreciated what you uh, what you had to say, and um, just wishing you the best in the future. Um, so until um, we hear from you again, go well, stay well. Thank you, Brian. You as well. I really appreciate it. <laughs>